Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Anywho. I'm never sick of talking to Scott. Yeah. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, perhaps no California ballot measure in the past decade has been the subject of more controversy, complaints, and profound disagreement than Proposition 47. Voters passed it overwhelmingly 10 years ago. The goal was to reduce the population in California's overcrowded prisons and reserve prison cells for people who commit the most serious and violent crimes. The penalty for nonviolent drug crimes like simple possession for personal use was reduced from felonies to misdemeanors, and it raised the threshold for charging a felony for the theft of property from $400 to $950. Critics blame Prop 47 for what they say is a rise in property crimes like shoplifting, but is that real or just perception? While Prop 47 is a favorite target of people who say we need to get tough on crime, the reality is much, much more complicated. Well, for the past few months, Marisa Lagos has been doing a deep dive into the data, talking with cops, prosecutors, criminal justice reform advocates, and others. And she's here now to talk about all that. Hey, Marisa. Hey, Scott. Well, first of all, take us back to 2014 when this was on the ballot. Um, Give us a little context. How did it get there? What was the mood of California at that time? Yeah, this was a few years after the U.S. Supreme Court had ordered California to reduce its prison population. Uh, Jerry Brown was coming back into office after 40 years. Um, And I would say that there was a real feeling that the state had gone too far with its tough on crime laws that really took a sort of peaked in the 1990s. Um, And so I think that there was a lot of willingness among voters to look at other options. And there was a sense among, you know, the folks in Sacramento that they had to do something and that these types of reforms that were more targeted were better than just like starting to let people out of prison wholesale. And of course, there were all those images of overcrowded prisons. The U.S. Supreme Court was ordering California to reduce its population. And there was also a sense that some of these 
penalties. Some of these sentences were disproportionate and based on race as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, we know in general our criminal justice system has tended to sort of overly target black and brown men especially. Um, And then I think that, you know, the argument made in Prop 47 was, look, we are spending billions of dollars locking people up and most of them get out and aren't any better off. In fact, they might be worse off. And so why don't we take this savings, people who are, you know, drug users, not drug sellers, but people just using drugs themselves, people who are maybe stealing very small amounts under $950 uh, was the threshold that Prop 47 raised it to. And, you know, charge them with misdemeanors, use the savings from not packing these types of folks into prisons and spend it on reentry programs. Um, And so far, Prop 47 has saved the state about $800 million. And that is money that's been given back to counties to help people coming out of prison reenter society and succeed. Well, and that was one of the reasons prisons were so overcrowded is if the recidivism rate was like more than 65 percent, a lot of people were going back to prison. What did you find when you looked at how that money was being spent at the local level? You know, these programs are very successful. The state tracks them really carefully. They're grant programs. And what we see is the recidivism rate has gone down over the past decade. It's around 44 percent now. That means within three years of a release, do you get a new conviction? For these programs, if people complete them, the Prop 47 funded programs, that number is around 8%. And so, wow, that's a big the mon- difference. yeah, so it's working. I think the challenge is, you know, what has the sort of broader um, uh, tr- trends we're seeing around crime? How are they impacted or not by 47? And as you said at the top, a lot of prosecutors, law enforcement never liked this law um, and have really used it, I think someone say, as a scapegoat um, to attack sort of bigger trends that we are are seeing in the criminal justice system. Well, a lot of emphasis has been placed over the years by critics of Prop 47 on raising that threshold, you know, from $400 to $950. And a lot of people, uh, including the governor, have really pushed back on that. Can you talk about what you found when you looked at that? Yeah. uh, Pew Research has done some pretty extensive studies on this, not just in California, but elsewhere. And there's really no evidence that that threshold amount has increased uh, theft anywhere. Um, And I think it's important to note something the governor likes to underscore. We are actually at the lower end, a state like Texas, not known for being soft on crime. They have a $2,500 threshold. So you can steal up to $2,499 and still get a misdemeanor there. Um, You know, I think that What people who do not like the threshold or who have problems with 47 would say is, okay, but what happens if somebody repeatedly steals, you know, under 2,500 in Texas? And I do think that there is an argument, this is one of my big findings, that we have made it too difficult under Prop 47 and case law in California to aggregate charges, to say if you repeatedly go in and just steal and steal and steal, you can't just get a bunch of felonies. At a certain point, a prosecutor maybe should be able to charge you with a a felony. Um, And so, uh, you know, that is one thing that the governor believes and my reporting bears out that could actually be changed at the legislative level. They wouldn't have to go back to voters to do that. Well, you know, a lot of what depends on how how criminals get treated begins with the cops. You know, you have to get arrested. There has to be some immediate penalty or fear of, of actually getting caught. What did you find? I know you really look into the data there on how police are performing since, you know, in this past decade, since Prop 47 passed. Yeah, and this is actually bolstered by a report out today by a progressive group uh, in San Francisco who also looked at what's known as clearance rates. Essentially, how ma- how often is it that the police make an arrest when a crime is reported? And what we see with something like shoplifting is a real decline in the n- a number of arrests. Um, 
So the rates have gone down from around 15 percent of arrest for any larceny, you know, small thefts in 2013. Now they're around 6.6 percent statewide. So that means there's more than a 90 percent chance that if you go and shoplift something, you're not going to get arrested. And what decades of criminology research tells us is that even though we spend so much time attacking prosecutors and a lot of these like criminal justice reforms around sentences, that's not really how people think. If you are going to commit a crime the thing that is most likely to deter you is the fear of being arrested, not what the punishment would be once you're arrested. And so policing matters. We see this, you know, in places like San Francisco, where after we had some really high profile, say, smash and grabs, which are not actually 47 offenses, but, you know, bigger felony uh, burglaries and robberies, the police really flooded the zone and it's resulted in a decline in overall theft. Um, And so I do think that how police react to this is a big thing. And what that report I mentioned earlier uh, found is that we're spending more on policing than ever. But over across the board, we are solving fewer crimes, whether they be violent or property crimes. What do police say when you talk to them about that? Yeah, I mean, there is frustration. I think they feel like their hands have been tied by the fact that this a lot of these offenses are misdemeanors. Um, but I also talked to like Chief Bill Scott in San Francisco. I talked to, you know, DAs like Steve Wagstaff in San Mateo. And they say, yeah, like when we show up and, you know, enforce these laws, whether they mean misdemeanors or felonies, it has a, an effect, a, a deterrent effect. And if we don't, then it can lead to this sort of you know, sort of sense of permissiveness that can lead to more high profile, more serious crimes. Um, And so, you know, I think police would also say we're understaffed. We have been in a defensive position since the George Floyd protests that there's policing has changed. And so I do think there are bigger challenges. You can't just blame this on whether police are arresting folks. Um, It's also important to note that if you're a police officer and there's a call for a violent crime or shoplifting, you're going to respond to the violent crime first. Yeah. And yet there is that perception. You mentioned the distinction between the smash and grab crimes and, you know, stealing toothpaste or something like that. How does Prop 47 distinguish between those things? Yeah. So if you are stealing something small, you know, it it is a potential misdemeanor. But if you go in with a big group and you're stealing thousands of dollars of luxury goods, maybe assaulting a security officer, using force or fear, those are clear felonies. Um, And we've seen a lot of investment by the state in millions and millions of dollars to help local police departments really go after those types of criminals. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about Proposition 47. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.com. 
podcastsnetwork.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We're talking with Marisa Lagos about the 2014 ballot measure Prop 47, a criminal justice reform measure that is the subject of lots of discussion, debate, criticism, and pushback. You know, Marisa, I'm wondering, you know, so much has changed in the last decade in many, many ways. The pandemic, George Floyd, you alluded to earlier. What would you say is the political climate right now uh, around this issue? It's not great for folks who like Prop 47. I mean, I think, like, let's go back. Let's talk about the bigger context, right? This was one of a series of reforms we saw really ushered in by former Governor Jerry Brown um, and other folks within the criminal justice reform space. It started with uh, something known as realignment, AB 109, that essentially said non-serious, non-violent crimes, even if they're felonies, uh, those people should spend their time in jail, not state prison. And so that was one effort to kind of lower the prison population. 47 came next, obviously lowering some of these drug possession and property crimes to misdemeanors. And then in 2016, voters also passed Prop 57, which essentially made it easier for people with long prison sentences to participate in programming and knock time off those sentences. So, so older inmates. Older inmates to get out. And those are actually what I found in this reporting. A lot of the people benefiting from the Prop 47 savings because there are people who are coming out of prison and need these reentry services, right? They need help getting jobs. They need help getting housing. They need help with, you know, medical care, therapy. And 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 that's working. Um and they're also, at that age, much less likely to right. commit crimes. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think it can be a lot to sort of wrap your head around. Um, I think what we've seen is, and, and again, I think we can't say it enough how much the pandemic really changed things um, here. And it's not just like, you know, the, the racial justice protests. But if you look at crime rates, I mean, they had been falling for decades in California. And really, since the pandemic began, they've been a little bit more all over the map. We've seen some crimes go up again. We've seen some cities have spikes in, say, violent crime like Oakland, while others are still staying low. Um, and I say all that to sort of, you know, underscore this idea that if you are looking at the kind of bigger landscape of things and you're not in the weeds on these policies, you probably have seen those smash and grab videos of people, you know, raiding luxury stores. You've seen how when you go into Walgreens and Target that they're locking stuff up or closing stores. Um, And I do think that there is, you know, part of that is all being conflated when we talk about something like 47, um, because, again, uh, you know, they're different and there's different penalties for all of them. Um, But I I will say, like, I did talk to a lot of people in law enforcement who do feel that, you know, the threshold, the the number threshold, uh, the dollar amount is often attacked. But like talk talk about the Yolo County DA, Jeff Riesig. He really feels that a lot of this is any changes we've seen in shoplifting rates, um, which haven't gone up overall, but in some places have, you know, some counties have, like, A, that retailers and police just aren't always reporting them because they don't feel like it's worth it. And I do think that that's borne out by a lot of anecdotal evidence. But B, that changing drug possession to a misdemeanor took away a really big tool that law enforcement had to push people towards treatment. And so essentially another finding is that drug courts, these places where people might be diverted in the past if they had, say, a felony possession charge, a judge would say, look, you know, you can either take this felony and spend however long in jail or prison, or you can enter this drug treatment. And if you complete it, we'll drop the felony charge. Drug courts have seen 
enormous reductions in the number of participants since Prop 47 passed. And people like Riesig say that's because there's no stick anymore. There's no incentive. And he really thinks that that has created a second problem, which is then people stealing, engaging in these low-level shoplifting uh, crimes in order to feed their drug habit. Um, and I think that that's a fair argument and that you could make the case that we need to rethink how we do things like drug courts. Um, and stay tuned because I'm actually doing some reporting. There's a few counties that are still getting a lot of people into them and having success. And I think that there are some models that could be used around the state. So there is an effort, and there have been efforts in recent years to toughen up, to go back to the ballot. There was Prop 20 on the ballot uh, in 2020, I believe it was. It was overwhelmingly defeated, uh, 62 to 38. That would have tightened up some of these uh, uh, rules around when something's a felony or a misdemeanor. Um, And there's a new uh, effort as well in Sacramento that's been embraced by some Democratic mayors, including London Breed here in San Francisco, Matt Mahan in San Jose, Todd Gloria down in San Diego. And then you've got Governor Newsom going in a different direction, saying, no, Prop 47 is not the problem. It's this organized retail theft and the market, the black market. Talk about those two, that fork in that road and how people are thinking about this. Well, look, mayors are on the front lines of this, right? Like, who do you blame when you see problems in your city or county? You probably blame the mayor, not the governor first. Um, So I do think that folks like London Breed, like Matt Mahan in San Jose, like Todd Gloria in San Diego, are looking at the landscape and the pressure they're feeling and say, fine, something's got to give. and yeah, so the the ballot measure you referred to is still collecting signatures. Um, it would attempt to deal with some of these things uh, we just talked about by, say, making it easier uh, to compel people back into drug treatment. Um, and it really tries to handle, uh, you know, go after folks for fentanyl possession and, and use. Um, we've also, to your point, seen like some dozen proposals in the state legislature that would tweak or change portions of Prop 47. Almost all of those would have to go before voters because it was passed by voters. You can't change it without asking them again. Um, Newsom's pushing back, as you said, and saying, look, we need to handle these bigger felony, you know, organized retail crime. How has the Internet changed the incentive for people to engage in this stuff? Are Do we need to work more, you know, with these platforms like Amazon to make sure they're not selling stolen goods? So this is going to be playing out in the coming months. I'm going to keep watching it. I think Folks like Newsom do not want to see a ballot measure. They don't want to spend all year talking about this from a political perspective. And I think they don't feel that it's necessary. Uh, But I do think that there has been a sort of change that you do see even liberal Democrats feeling a lot of pressure from their constituents. Um, And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this reporting now is I think, you know, we need to be talking about the facts, not just what people's sort of ideas or anecdotes or perceptions are um, and, and, and really dig into what works and what is going to actually have the effect of not just preventing these crimes, but helping the people that need to be helped so we don't end up back where we were 10 or 15 years ago. Well, and in that regard, I mean, Oakland is a city where, you know, it's really been evident that a lot of these property crimes have gone up. And the governor just, I think last week, said he was sending 120 CHP officers there to help with law enforcement. Uh, the AG, Rob Bonta, and Newsom also saying they want to send more prosecutors, kind of flood the zone. Um, is that, you know, kind of a, I don't know, PR kind of thing? Or is it really going to make an impact, do you, do you think? Well, you know, we talked earlier about the importance of police presence and how that is a deterrent. So, yeah, I think it'll matter. And I think that there is a sense, you know, if you can engage in especially a a violent crime and just not feel like police are going to show up, then I do think that that's a problem. Um, 
you know, how the CHP engages, like what crimes they're going after, I think is going to be something to watch. Um, and, and also, again, we do have to say, like, the state has already handed out almost a quarter of a billion dollars to police departments around the state to investigate and prosecute organized retail crime. Um, and so this is something and we've seen hundreds of cases brought all over the state. Uh, some like some of those really high profile ones from last uh, winter that happened in Los Angeles, for example, the DA down there has handed over to the attorney general because they have a much bigger sort of uh, task force ability to investigate those things and connect the dots. Um, And so this is all happening, I think, in concert. Um, And to your point, I mean, about the politics, you know, you have a pretty progressive mayor in Oakland. You have a DA who ran on a progressive platform. They're embracing this. So I think that there is a sense on the left that in order to protect some of these reforms, there are ways that the policing needs to change, that the criminal justice system needs to tackle these things, because even if they're not the cause of all these problems, they're still getting blamed. Is it your sense that the, that shift is happening not just on the local level, but maybe in Sacramento as well, in terms of the way Democrats say on the various public safety committees are thinking and talking about these bills? Yeah, for sure. I think we saw a new speaker come in, Robert Rivas from Salinas. Uh, He appointed a new head of public safety, Kevin McCarty of Sacramento. Um, They, I understand, have been, you know, toying with the idea of a potential ballot measure. I don't know if that will actually, you know, go through the legislature. Um, But absolutely, there's, I think, the sense of pressure. I mean, I I do think one of the challenges is like... there's been so much sort of misinformation and, and assumptions about this that I'm interested and curious to watch how these conversations sort of unfold. Um, but Rivas created an entire special committee that has been tasked with looking into retail theft, not just 47, but organized retail crime as well. Um, and there's certainly, I think, a big incentive to do something this year, um, whether or not that's legislatively or at the ballot box. You've done all this research and you came up with basically the finding that property crimes really haven't gone up very much. Uh, Maybe shoplifting is not getting reported as often as it's happening. So why do you think Prop 47 continues to be the focus of so much controversy and anger and attempts to change it? I think in part because it's one of the easier reforms to understand. Like, it's pretty simple. Um, And, you know, it has coincided with things that have nothing to do with it, like the rise of fentanyl, which is such a destructive and visible drug and scourge, not just in California, but internationally. Um, And again, I do think you have to say that a lot of people in law enforcement disliked this and other reforms. They didn't feel at the time that California maybe had gone too far or that this was the way to handle it. I think that that's changed. I think that a lot of when I talk to some of these, you know, DAs and and law enforcement officers who have been really critical of Prop 47 over the years, um, they don't at least now, you know, they say things like, we don't want to go back to the old days where we lock everybody up. Like the conversation has shifted, uh, but it definitely is sort of just it's something everyone voted on. It's not all comp- like 57 requires these very complicated um kind of math equations in terms of like what somebody had on their sentence and how many programs they participated in and what that results in when it comes to reducing a sentence. 
47 is easy. Felony to misdemeanor, right? And yeah. so I think that's it. You know, I was looking before we chatted today about uh, looking at back at 2014, who supported the ballot measure. And there was a moment in there when there was a kind of a bipartisan consensus. Newt Gingrich, Rand Paul right. from Kentucky, supported this ballot measure. And so it's hard to know whether... That was cer- about money, though, right? Like libertarians well, money, were... True. Yeah. But also I think there was a sense that maybe like the disproportionate sentencing for crack cocaine versus powder. That's right. Yeah. You know, that that was also a, an injustice that needed to be corrected. Now, of course, we, you don't hear that sort of bipartisan no. agreement. Is that just, you know, the way we are about everything, basically? I think it is. I think it's a sign of the times. I think that, yeah, to your point, it was never the most sort of like hard right uh, traditional Republicans. It was more like people with libertarian bent who didn't like the amount of money we were spending and, you know, don't think that government should have a place in every sort of part of a person's life. Um, Yeah, that's really disappeared. I think Republicans see this as a winning issue for them right now. There are a lot of concerns. Again, Crime changed a lot during the pandemic. Um, just patterns around like which property crimes were happening, I think, made it more visible to people. You know, in San Francisco, pre-pandemic, there was a lot more, I, I, I think, targeting of tourists. And then we saw that kind of shift to residents because there weren't tourists here. So it does feel like we're kind of caught in a traditional um partisan fight. But here in California, Democrats run the table. And so it's really going to be on them to figure out if there's a way to do, do this in, in a manner that sort of is consistent with a lot of the reforms they've supported and a lot of the things they've been saying in recent years. We got to wrap up. But, you know, you did some reporting earlier uh, last year on the shooting of Banco Brown, who was shot by a security guard uh, while he was, you know, uh, stealing they were stealing, they were stealing it, something yeah. relatively small. I'm wondering, like, do you feel like because of that, I mean, have retailers maybe pulled back from their efforts to stop people um, or report it to the police? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of um, cooperation between retailers and and, and police, but there's also some frustration. Um, I talked extensively to the head of the Retail Foundation here in California, the Retail Association. And yeah, she said that there's a sense among retailers that they don't want their stores to be the site of constant arrest, that they don't always see a point in reporting something if the police are, you know, maybe going to take a report but not do a lot else. Um, And that they often feel kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, I think you have to step back and also acknowledge that, like, again, the retail landscape has changed. And so I think some of the store closures and other things have been sort of disproportionately blamed on things like theft. It's part of the equation. Um, And it is, I think, a challenging time, especially for small businesses that don't have the ability to do things like harden their stores the way a Target could or someone like that. Um, And it's put to your point about um, that horrific incident in San Francisco, it's put a lot of these lo- sort of low trained security guards on the front lines. Um, and so I do think that there's a sense among some retailers that they're not going to ask their employees to engage in a physical manner um, with somebody who, you know, is stealing something that's not worth all that much money. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for all the reporting you've done. I know I've seen you for months uh, digging into all this. I'm glad it finally came to light. And you can read more of Marisa's reporting, by the way, if you go to kqd.org. Thanks. Thank you. Good to talk with you. And that'll do it. It's a wrap for Tuesday, February 13th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening.
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.